This is Dangerous Vision, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. They all said yes. That meant I was heading to Hollywood Week, which is like the regionals of American Idol. Scott McIntyre is a singer, songwriter, and classical pianist. And then Ryan Seacrest, the host of American Idol, says, Well, congratulations, Scott. We will see you in Hollywood. He said that his hand shot up into the air and uh, for a high five, and it just kind of hung up there. <laughs> the silent high five. Do you just like say, you know, I'm in the mood for a little Scott McIntyre. Let's crank it up. And this is Dangerous Vision. Welcome to Dangerous Vision. I'm Randy Cohen, and I'm here with Scott McIntyre. Scott, uh, welcome to the Dangerous Vision podcast. Thank you. You know, that's quite a name. It's a little bit scary, (laughs) Dangerous Vision. I I wanted to write about the techniques, the tips and tricks, the um, uh, products that I used uh, to get around and and kind of do my job and travel the world and do other things despite uh, having, uh, I'm not 100% blind, uh, but, you know, reasonably close. And, um, and so I started writing this stuff up and I thought, well, I need a name for it. And I thought, well, um, you know, the terms people use for this, like low vision and, and, um, and uh, partial blindness and all, they all seem kind of negative to me. And uh, I wanted something a little bit sexier. And I decided that I have uh, <laughs> uh, just enough vision to be dangerous. So I decided to call it dangerous vision. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, what am I getting myself into? You know, you know, and, yeah, I'm, I'm honored. Well, to you know, there's things. this. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. please. Uh, thank you so much for coming. There's, there's a famous, it's a little bit of a reference to this famous uh, book of speculative fiction. There was a writer named Harlan Ellison and he wrote a book called Dangerous Visions back in the sixties. And it was, you know, science fiction had a reputation for being all, you know, ray guns and, and uh, bug eyed monsters and, and things like that. And, you know, Harlan Ellison, he wrote a bunch of Star Trek episodes. So if you think of like the famous Star Trek episodes where the people are white on one side of their face and black on the other side of their face and and whether the white side is the left or the right they're killing each other over and you know the sometimes that kind of social commentary can be more effective uh than just saying oh racism is bad I read this amazing uh, article. I think it was in The Ringer, the online you know, sports and pop culture publication, which I enjoy very much. Um, and, uh, and it was about uh, Nashville, and it was sort of talking about um, the culture of – in much the way that people talk about how young people, you know, like every year thousands of young people move out to L.A. hoping to be in the movie business and, you know, of course, end up working in service jobs, working as, as servers at, at restaurants and bars and all that sort of thing, uh, but then pursue their acting dreams or what have you you uh, at the same time that now there's an enormous culture of that in Nashville and uh, and that just huge numbers of people moving there and that, you know, every bartender, every waitress, they're all, um, uh, you know, just a, an enormous percentage of them are, are musicians. And then, you know, you'll somebody will be serving you drinks and then the next night you'll see him and just unbelievable talent up on stage. And you're like, wow, that guy just that guy just made me a martini. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole mix of musical uh, uh, things like that around the city, you know, some of it is performance. Obviously you have all the, the bars in downtown Nashville and you have a lot of that around the city, but something that's unique to Nashville that I didn't know about until I moved there. And we, we loved going to these when we, when we were home and not traveling, but there's something called writer's rounds and it's very unique to Nashville. Uh, I've never, I've never really found it anywhere else officially, at least in such an official capacity. But um, it's where songwriters, not the artists, but the songwriters actually get up on stage or they sit in a circle at a restaurant or you know, a hotel lobby or, or nook or something. 
or at a or at a restaurant, and uh, they will actually sing the songs, kind of rotate around the room. This guy does a song, the next one, next one, and they'll sing the songs that they've written. And sometimes you hear people that have written these famous songs, you know, and you hear how they originally envisioned the song and it's very you know it's kind of different than the artist ended up singing it but other times you'll hear you know up and coming songwriters and it's kind of a way that songwriters get out there and they they test out how their songs hit uh, a crowd you know and that was really cool because you don't always hear great voices in that but you hear incredible songs that have never been heard before i still have a couple songs that i i heard there they've never been you know they've never been sung by a by a known artist but i'm just like you know that really stuck with me if a song has great bones it can be performed a hundred different and let me just be clear i cannot perform music in any way shape or form but i love listening to music and you can be one one of the hundred ways though and 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 well yeah i guess i guess the terrible way uh But I, I love I love listening to music and I love and I love reading about music and uh, I know um, Laurie Anderson or maybe someone even before said you know talking about music is like dancing about architecture but I I do like talking about music so take that Laurie and um, and um, so <laughs> yeah I'm not sure we might have to reevaluate that quote I do remember that quote. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think she titled an album that, and I think people the, – the, it's one of those great quotes that's attributed to multiple places. So, you know, people uh, – and look, I respect that. I mean, there's people who just have music so purely in their soul that they don't need to think about it or talk about it. And actually, just switching topics briefly, one of, one of the best things I've ever read was an essay uh, by um, uh, the novelist David Foster Wallace called How Tracy Austin Broke My Heart. And it talks about how he was a young junior tennis player um, and uh, and uh, a Around his and, and at the time that he was young and I was young, he and I were in college at the same time. He um, uh, there was you know this star tennis player named Tracy Austin. I believe she won Wimbledon when she was fourteen, or maybe she just came close to winning uh, and won it later. And and so you know he became this gigantic fan of hers. Here's this person his own age who's who's playing at the very highest level, and and so he was sort of fascinated with her. And and years later she came out with a book, uh, and when he read the book, she didn't really. Um, she didn't she wasn't able to articulate anything about what made her so great at tennis and he and that was very frustrating to him but what he sort of came to realize was that for her it was so completely natural if she'd had to stop and think about it the way he had to stop and think to make a great tennis shot then she'd be a player like him which is to say somebody who topped out you know at 14 or 16 years old and never never made the big time but for her it was just in her bones and i understand for some people music is like that so tell me about you well, first of all, I do think you can dance about architecture. I was just <laughs> thinking through that in my mind, and I'm pretty sure that mm. uh, that I could, you know, with the help of some uh, more, you know, some sighted people, I could uh, I could pretty much choreograph a dance <laughs> that that goes through the history of architecture or nice. something. Yeah, do the Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal, maybe, or do uh, do a dance about uh, the Chrysler Building or something. Yeah, music, music is very much a part of me. You know, a lot of people know me from American Idol more recently as the you know the first the the they love you know it's the blind the blind guy from American Idol. I get that. I get the first the blindalist. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I've never heard that one before. Um, but it, it was amazing to to hold that that place in the history of that show and be able to start a lot of conversations around the world about disability awareness and, and lots of things like that. But, but well before that music was definitely uh, a part of, of my life. You know, I remember uh, growing up, you know, I, I, I knew I had a choice to focus on the things that, 
I couldn't do, uh, and and you know get caught up in just being weighed down by my disability and thinking about all the things I couldn't do, or I could or I could focus on the things that I could do in spite of my disability. Now I I could never play baseball. I couldn't see when a girl was smiling at me from across the room. I could never drive a car. I have never driven a car to this day, Randy, mm-hmm. as far as anyone knows. I, I always, I, I exactly, I always say, uh, if you see me driving, get, people would ask me if I could drive as my, because my, my I, as I say, I still have a tiny bit left. And when I was younger, I could see well enough. And in fact, did drive a little. Uh, and then it got worse and worse. At some point, you know, people would say, oh, do you drive? I'd be like, if you see me driving, get off the sidewalk, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, exactly. Unless, unless you're in. Uh, you know, I was in Vietnam a couple of years ago and the cars are already on the sidewalk. So you'd be okay there. But it was, it was just, you know, music became uh, this, this thing that I poured myself into. I poured my emotions into it. Uh, it. It actually became my sport. I couldn't play other sports, but music was something that started as an interest and then turned into something I did competitively. And it became uh, quite a big passion of mine and, and a way that I love to communicate with people. I think mu- music has a way of reaching so deep into people's souls when words alone can't all the time. And uh, and it's it's been exciting to be able to uh, to make my living doing that. Yeah. I, I love love doing it every day. It's a wonderful. Well, so um, so look, we're I expect we're going to talk mostly about your life and work in music today, and 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 only a moderate amount about blindness, uh, because you know, after all, if, if if every episode of this is mostly about blindness, it'll probably get too repetitive. But that said, we should sort of set the table for people sure, yeah. uh, so that they can yeah. understand how you fit in. Ha, uh, you know, have you always been blind? Are you totally blind? As I say, I, I started off when I was a kid. I was just kind of a nearsighted kid, and then it got a little worse every year. And you know. I started calling myself legally blind probably around age 30, maybe early 30s, and I started calling myself blind just a few years ago in my okay. in my um, in my in my late 40s, uh, maybe my mid 40s. I, I started saying blind, even though I still do have a tiny bit left. Um, yeah. Give yeah. us a sense where you stand and how long you stood there. So I have used the term blind uh, my whole life because I'm I'm kind of at the very mm-hmm. bottom of that spectrum as far as I know. I have about two degrees of tunnel vision. So out of 180, it's a very, very small percentage. And it's kind of, you know, it's like, it's like extreme tunnel vision. Mm. It's literally the size of a mouse cursor on a computer screen. And uh, sometimes it's usable in some situations and other times it's not. So I use all the the typical things. I use a screen reader. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. I, I do have jaws, but I, I really like NVDA if anyone's interested in that. It's funny. I was just thinking today that I should start working with one of those because before I lose so much, like right now I can see just enough on screen to see which page I'm on. And then I copy and paste it into Kurzweil, which reads it out loud to me. And that's, that's how I make that work. But I can tell that at some point, and I don't know if it's six months from now or six years, but it's not going to be 60 uh, years. Uh, I'm going to be at a point where I won't be able to tell which page I'm on. I'm like, it probably will be a lot easier if I try one of these out uh, uh, while I still have a little. Yeah, and it's it's a and it's a process, you know. And I because I've done a lot of work in the in the studio where I'm using key commands, but I don't always use a screen reader in in uh, you know when I'm using 
digital audio workstation software, music software in, in the studio. But I've I've started, you know, doing doing that as I've learned more about screen readers and how to how to keep things functional. Uh, but for sure, everything with email, my phone. I actually have a I still have a BlackBerry, but it's an mm-hmm. Android BlackBerry, and so I use the the, the you know sure. the screen reading capabilities with TalkBack on that. And uh, yeah, it's it's been pretty much the same my whole life. And so in a sense, it, it was a lot easier than than having full vision and then going blind. I know people who have it's a trade-off. We, we talk about it all the time, which which is <laughs> which is worse and and is it better to lose it faster or lose it slow? I, I, I don't know. I met I was talking to a guy once who saw about as badly as me and he's like, yeah, some days I think, God, I wish I just lose it all tomorrow so I don't have to like feel like I'm losing it every day anymore. It's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think it's, you know, and there's there's some other things, as you know, that I went through later in life with with kidney failure, mm-hmm. where I, I think I really had that experience more at that time in my life, because the blindness was always there for me. I was, you know, I, I learned how to deal with it and find workarounds for it, which is really fun to talk about because it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's an exercise in trust and in faith and just in, you know, think about crossing the street for the first time, never right. having seen the other side, you know, <laughs> and a lot of people can identify with that who listen to this. But, uh, you know, with, with some things that happened later in life, it was something that I wasn't expecting and things that I had to let go of more, kind of like you're saying with, with losing your sight slowly. Every time, every time I have an illness, uh, that's not related to my blindness, I'm like, what? No, no. See, that's not fair. I already have. Don't you, I gave at the office, Scott. I gave at the office. I'm dealing with the blindness. I'm not also supposed to have, you know, a, I don't know, bump on my elbow or whatever. <laughs> I know. Well, I learned a long time ago. Life is not fair. Yeah, it doesn't always but, work that way. You know, that's that's the thing. I've I've asked those same questions, but I will tell you. Although I wouldn't wish my disability on anyone i've i've seen how it's encouraged other people and what they're struggling with whether it's a whether it's a physical thing like that or an emotional thing or a spiritual thing and i uh, i i've seen it encourage a lot of people and so mm-hmm. i actually wouldn't i wouldn't trade those uh those years. You know, you and I both constantly use sight metaphors. I think it's funny, right? I've seen a lot of people do this. I do it all the time myself, right? And it's so interesting, but it's interesting that you do it because of course, I used to have more or less normal sight. So, you know, you could say I developed this habit, but, but it's so interesting that even uh, not having ever seen all that much, uh, that sight's just such a powerful metaphor that we can't resist using it, huh? Yeah, it's all it's a powerful metaphor and it's also I mean it more more so maybe it's uh it's just a phrase that mm-hmm. we that we use. We could just as easily say, you know, uh, Yeah, I felt it. You know, right? When yeah, when I when I go to, you know when I go to the movie, but when I when I see the movie, you know, yeah. did you see such and such? Did you go to such you so could did, say that, so, but I think I think sight, you know, for people that have sight, sight is the, you know, it's the sense that kind of dominates everything else. So right. it makes sense to me why it's there, but it's funny, I'll tell you, I never really uh had people comment on that to me uh until American Idol. Uh-huh. There were some people that did, but I would use it and people would just kind of accept it. You know, I'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What? You said see? <laughs> um, I never really got that until American Idol. And then, you know, people would, you know, I'd get weird comments on my my Facebook page. You know, like, why did you use the word see? So you know, aren't you blind? And that I, I, I'll say sometimes I'll meet. Somebody, I'll say it's nice to see you. And then I'll and then I'll catch myself and I'll say, or as we blind guys like to say, nice to be in your presence. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I've started I've started switching it up here and there, and paying attention to that more, especially on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess that's right. If, when yeah, it's written, it, when you're talking, it just blows right by people. But when it's written down, people people notice those yeah. details. That's a very good point. Yeah. The uh, yeah. all right. So tell me because I'm, I'm excited to get to Idol and then to things since Idol. But but so tell me a little about how you got into music and and what led you to Idol and and all that stuff. So let's let's uh, you know what what and and tell us a, about your music because. Obviously, not not everyone uh, uh, saw you on American Idol, so yeah. people w- are interested in the kind of music you play and what instruments do you play, or is it just singing, or you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So I grew up as a, a doing classical piano, mm-hmm. so I've played with a number of symphonies in my lifetime, mostly when I was younger. that's a far cry from what I do. And uh, it really changed from, you know, uh, classical concert piano to that. When I was a teenager, I started to write songs. I started to figure out how to sing and write lyrics. You know, music was always the part that, that, uh, came very naturally because I was doing it from before, before Mm -hmm. I can remember really. Uh, but writing lyrics was something I, I learned later and had to labor over and still labor over to some extent it's you know it's a lot a lot easier and a stronger skill now but when i write lyrics i still you know i can't remember them uh fluently for about three days you know and uh whereas if you know i can just spin musical uh tapestries Mm -hmm. all day and remember you know and kind of get through that but uh so it, it was it was interesting and i started to write pop music uh, as a teenager, and I had these two paths going for quite a while. I had the classical path and the songwriting path as a singer-songwriter, and I, I I did that all the way through grad school, and I knew eventually I had to make mm-hmm. a decision. Uh, and what I decided eventually was just that I, I really loved to tell my story and other people's stories through mm-hmm. words and music, and I loved, uh, I loved having it accessible to people. I didn't want people to have to study my music and interpret it and try to figure out what does this mean i just wanted to tell them what i had to tell them so you could say that i you know i'm an encourager at heart i think and and music is just one of the ways that i'm able to do that a lot of times it's with uh with a with a keynote Mm -hmm. speech at an event but sometimes it's music sometimes it's a book or a a, you know a, a movie or you know whatever the medium is um, I do love to encourage people when, in their in their. When walk. you give a speech, do you uh, do you do you break out of the song sometimes and and incorporate that into your speaking? Because I, do. I think that would be very effective. Yeah, some, sometimes the power, the the uh, piano becomes my PowerPoint. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I like to have a piano on stage with me so I can I can use it to punctuate I, I, what I'm saying. Yeah. We once they did an event at, at Harvard once where one of my favorite musicians, Randy Newman, came and uh, uh, came but and and you know, I, I sort of thought maybe it would be a performance, and in some ways it was, but what, what they did was that professor from the music school interviewed him. And so then what would happen, and of course he's a, a you know unusually uh, uh, witty uh, and thoughtful individual as well as being a brilliant musician. And so so they would you know the, the professor would ask him uh, questions. And then he would uh, start um, 
you know, he, he would say, well, let me explain, you know, uh, first you got your New Orleans barrel house piano and they play it like this. And then he'd play, you know, some riffs and they'd be like, and then, you know, you got this kind of bluesy sound. And what I decided to do was to put them together in this way. And then I had this, and it was so incredible. <laughs> you know, it was wow. just so, it was so compelling. That combination of the intellectual, I mean, maybe it's just me and, and the way I like to interact with art. But for me, to, if I can combine that kind of thinking, I mean, this is back to our Laurie Anderson jokes, but, but if I can combine that kind of thinking uh, and understanding together with the pure thrilling joy of, of, of art, whether it's musical art or any other kind, uh, wow, just awesome. So mm-hmm. I, I, I bet your speeches are amazing. Well, thank you. I, I try to keep them amazing so that they'll have me back, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They, um, but, uh, oh, but earlier I was talking about the, the, the bones of songs and, and this was sort of a similar thing. There used to be this show on, I think it was called Musicians. It was on Bravo. I think, I, I think that inside the actor's studio was big and they said, oh, why don't we do like a music version of that? And so they had a rock critic, uh, from Rolling Stone, David Wilde, and he would interview people. And I remember he had, he had Hall and Oates on and I'm from okay. Philadelphia. So, you know, I grew up with a Hall and Oates in my bloodstream, you know, and, um, and, uh, and they were playing their songs and, you know, that they, they play, you know, she's gone and it's just so great and all. And, th- and then, uh, they, they played, um, man eater, which was not a song that I ever particularly liked because it was done in a, uh, in a, in a particular style, uh, you know, sort of synthy style that was all the rage at the time, but wasn't my cup of tea. And then okay. they just kind of stood up with their guitars and performed the song. like, Oh no! This is just another work of pure musical genius. It's just this song has incredible bones. This happened. They, they produced it in a way that was happening at that moment. It wasn't my thing. Um, and 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 now I listen for that all the time. And you know when that Norrell Sparkly song "Crazy" was number one, and then people did versions, all different versions, country versions and folk versions and everything. And they were all great because that song yeah. just uh, at its core is is so inherently wonderful. Isn't that interesting? It's it's and it's certain certain songs that are written in a certain way that can be transferred. Uh, from genre to genre, and that's those are some some big genre lines to cross as well. Sometimes you see mm-hmm. more parallel between R and B and country, for example, or seventies rock and country, or now, or you know, or you 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 know, you have like uh, Florida Georgia Line crossing into the you know the right. hip hop rap kind of feel because it, yes. it feels you can you can switch some things around. Honestly, a lot of it's the you know the twanging guitars. You take those out, you can't really tell the difference between mm-hmm. modern country and. And, you know, uh, I, you know, in a lot of areas, it's like this. I remember that uh, uh, the 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 band One Direction, who you know people sometimes categorize as a as a boy band or a teeny bopper thing or whatever, and they they did a song, and I forget which of their songs. I don't follow that band that closely, but uh, I guess it had some riffs in it that were pretty seemed pretty much directly taken from an old uh, old song by The Who. And uh, and they asked Pete Townsend about it, and he's like, uh, you know, expecting to get some, you know, uh, outrage that, you know, we could all be upset that, you know, these kids were stealing the work of our heroes. And Pete Townsend's like, I think One Direction's great, and I'm very happy that they enjoy our music and wanted to make something new out of it. You know, it was really, really kind of cool uh, that he had that response. But and, and, yeah. and then the article went on to sort of talk about how a lot of these distinctions are breaking down so much. As you say, yeah, if you don't have the twang, you know, there's there's so many pop hits that like either have country elements, they might have hip hop elements, they might have rock elements. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll listen and you'll hear a guitar line in a, in a song that's on, you know, that that's a, a dance song, and you'll think, yeah, that 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 could be straight out of Led Zeppelin or something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what? So tell me about now. Now that now that we've agreed that the music that music t- nowadays is uncategorizable. Nevertheless, you you <laughs> you chose Nashville for six years. So, like, tell me about your music. They say one life is all you got 
Better make the most of it before your time runs out. But I say there's something they forgot. The one thing that's everything is brought me through a lot. It's not about what you have or what you've done or who you wish you were. See, it's because that's where most people know me from, you know, and everyone goes on from idol to do their their things and uh, some people do more, some people do less. I've been very blessed that, that God's opened so many doors from that. But uh, on Idol, it's a hodgepodge of things, right? We had Country Week, we had Motown Week, we had Michael Jackson Week, all of these these different different things. And uh, it doesn't really, it you know, it's it's there are very few people I've seen that even even are able to you know piece together some kind of current musical identity from idol while they're you know while they're on there some people can because their voice just you know just uh fits in one place in one place alone so you hear their voice and you think rock you know so they can do whatever song and they're you know you know they're a rock artist i've, I've always kind of been a little bit of a of a renaissance man i enjoy a lot of different things so so i sang a lot of different things on idol but um, since Idol, I, I've done uh, in the mainstream. I've done kind of your singer songwriter pop rock is is kind of where I fall. And then the reason we meant, went to Nashville is because I, I I really felt led to go into Christian music, and uh, and I always kind of I went back and forth between that and mainstream. Growing up, um, I became a Christian when I was when I was very young, and so that's always been very important to me. Uh, but I, I just, uh, I also loved writing about, you know, just everyday things. It's kind of led me into, to really, um, that's why we came back to Arizona. I told you, we, we started a nonprofit part of our, our music ministry. We really just have, have seen a lot of people find hope out of, out of the music that we do, whether it's Christian or not, as far as the event. But, uh, I'm telling you, you know, people have, have just, shared crazy stories with us about uh, what they've been able to, to overcome mm-hmm. because of something that was said or something that was sung at an event. And I'm, I'm really humbled that, uh, that, you know, that first of all, the music can do that. I'm amazed, but I'm humbled that I, I can be some small part of, uh, of people's journeys like that. You know, like when someone says that song really, really touched me, or I'm sure you have a song that just, mm-hmm. you hear it and it just, you know, takes you back to that place where it inspired you or where it encouraged you. So now when you write songs, once you've heard stories like that, uh, I'll speak for myself. One, if I heard a story like that, then every time I sat down to write a song, I think, oh man, I have to touch people's hearts and so forth. But then I'd be terrified that when you try to do it, isn't when it happens. It's when you just, you know, speak your own truth that it happens naturally. And, uh, and yet it would be hard to get that idea out of my mind that, uh, that I that's need. an, in- that's an interesting point, Randy, because, so I'll tell you, first of all, in Nashville, uh, songwriting, well, and this this may not be. This is just my my take. I'm not the expert on this, but for what it's worth, in Nashville, songwriting is much more of a science than it is in L.A. For example, in L.A., people take you know you might take years to finish a song because you can and you want to you know you're being you're being the artist mm-hmm. and you want to make, yeah. you, know, you want to make it right. And if you know if you're doing really well, you're you know I mean. I don't know how how much money uh, some of these people spend on the productions, but I've I've you know I've heard a million dollars spent on an album, mm. which is not necessary these days at all. Mm. But if you can do it, some people do it, and there's just a long drawn out process out there in Nashville. 
you know, three songwriters get together in a room. I would do this all the time. We'd sit down and two to three hours later, we'd have the song and mm-hmm. it's, you, you know, wow. it's, it's so good. You, you don't have to go back and revisit it or we, you know, and people are really writing, I'm not going to say from a formula because you have to clarify that term and there is no one formula for, you know, for the perfect song. There are elements of structure, mm-hmm. but it just becomes this, uh, this, this, this abstract science, if you will, where you get the right people in the room and we know what a chorus is supposed to sound like for this certain genre. We know what it would sound like in this other genre. And then based on that chorus, we know, you know, or we can kind of decide what the verses should be. And you're trying to, you're always trying to say something universal that can connect with people. But at the same time, you're trying to say something that's never been said before, mm-hmm. or at least say it in a way that's never been said before. So, um, so that's, that's on the one hand, you know, that's kind of what I, um, enjoyed out of Nashville is the songwriting process. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, like, to your point, I think you have to be, you know, as, as an artist, I'm definitely true to myself, uh, in as much as I'm trying to, you know, to write something that'll connect with people. I think the songs that have connected with other people the most are the songs that have connected with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when I sing them, it, it's genuine, you know, it has to be, that's where the artist piece comes in. As an artist, you have to sing songs that you believe in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, going back to country music, for example, you know, traditionally country songs were written by the songwriters and mm-hmm. sung by the artists. You didn't really have, you know, Tim McGraw. Right. It, there's a lot of other people writing his songs over the years, but I'm sure he chooses songs as, as I know other people do too, yeah. that he can believe in, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what makes the difference. So I was going to tell you like my latest, I've done some other music since this, but my latest full length album is called Lighthouse. Okay. And, um, we were so excited about it. It was the first album I did in Nashville and three days before it came out, this really exciting time, I was put back on the waiting list for a second, uh, second kidney transplant. I'd already been through one kidney transplant and I was, you know, I was recovered and back to full health and touring. And then we had this album coming out and all excited about it. And then boom, you know, this really hard news at the same time as this great news. And mm-hmm. I always tell people, you know, I, I wrote that album. I thought I was writing it to to minister to other people and encourage other people. <laughs> but I think the songs on Lighthouse really ended up helping me mm-hmm. uh, just as much, you know, if not more so, because I was going through that time and it was like I was singing to myself. Well, you know, actually, <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to ask a, a real recording artist, and now I get to ask you, do you ever listen to your own albums? Like, I mean, once they're done, do you just like say, you know, I'm in the mood for a little Scott McIntyre. Let's crank it up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. I always wonder if Mick Jagger puts on a Stones album, you know, does he listen to Sticky Fingers sometimes, you know? Like, I I really enjoy Sticky Fingers. Why wouldn't he like it? (laughs) Yeah. No, and I've heard some, you know, like there's a a lot of artists that have influenced me over the years, but and I've heard some of them talk about this. Some, Some do. I'm sure some don't. I mean, I know you know, was it Johnny Depp that never watches any of his movies? Oh yeah. Is, uh, uh, so it's, you know, there's, there's a place for that cause you want to just live your life and, and you know, mm-hmm. what's out on the table is out on the table, but I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I love, well, I don't know if I love it, but I do critique myself mm-hmm. and I, you know, I try to, and it's, it's weird when you listen to your own music right after making it, it's different than coming back in a year and listening to it then. And I, I try to, 
you know, even as I'm as I'm recording, as I'm writing, I try to get into this place where I'm almost, you know, disassociating myself with the music temporarily so I can try to hear it as as you might hear mm-hmm. it or as someone else might hear it. And I try to make adjustments. Oh, I see. So you listen to it. So maybe I should ask two different questions, right? So one question is, do you listen to your own music to learn from it and to think about how you can be better and so forth? And a second question is, do you listen to your own music just because your music kicks ass and you want to hear something good? (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You should ask. That's, yeah, two different questions. Right. So So, clearly you do the first. um, What about the second? Clearly I do the first. Do you just like flipping through the collection or like the the, the album I most want to hear right now is Lighthouse? You know what? Surprisingly, um, once in a while, yeah. but I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> what I'll tell you is I, I, yes, but not the ones that are out necessarily uh-huh. because I, um, I'm always, you know, working on new music and it comes in seasons, but we're in, you know, we're in the middle of another album, uh, now, which, uh, we had a single come out called look up mm-hmm. that, uh, if people want to check it out, I, I think you guys will enjoy it, but it came out Excellent. last year and that was the beginning of this new album. And I'm kind of working on the rest in between traveling and everything. But I think, you know, because I'm always working a number of months ahead of what's out there, I'm usually listening to the, you know, to the new stuff that's in process or just completed. And so when, when an album comes out, I usually listen to it a lot for about a month, but then it, you're right. It does fall to the back burner. And, um, but yeah, but that, that would happen with anybody. Yeah, yeah, and so exactly. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily just listen through, but every once in a while I will, you know, like I, I picked up lighthouse again the other day. Actually, I didn't physically pick it up. I just loaded it up on my, on my mm-hmm. computer. Right. Exactly. Um, that's, does anyone pick up now. CDs anymore? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so I, yeah. And I, I heard it and I'm, I'm like, Oh, this, and I kind of heard it with fresh ears because I hadn't heard it in a while. And it's, it's interesting to mm-hmm. listen to what, uh, what people that listen to my music are hearing out there. And it kind of reminds me and connects me with their experience. Let's talk about blindness a little more. So look, obviously famously music is something that is a career, uh, uh, you know, that's where blind people are overrepresented, right? Where, because it's something that while blindness, uh, is, it's not, uh, convenient, uh, when for, for playing music or traveling around doing gigs or other things, uh, it's not as inconvenient as, as uh, blindness would be for, for some other careers that are really, you know, more less impossible uh, for blind people, although we're, um, we're really, uh, we're, you know, one of the things we do on Dangerous Vision is talk to people in all kinds of different professions that maybe people uh, would think that that blind people can't do. So uh, hopefully we're lined up soon to be talking to a blind architect, just to give you one example. And, uh, you know, that's a a profession people would generally think, yeah, probably not. See, architecture is a running theme on today's episode. So, do you want to talk about though? Ha- have you found that that blindness caused you know what what are some areas where it did cause any trouble, or has it really been a, a relatively smooth ride on that uh, score? Understanding that the music business is a challenging business for anybody, no you matter, know what I uh, I no think what, uh, that uh, first of all I probably wouldn't be in this this profession and this career and uh, all all of that if I wasn't blind, maybe I would, but I think my blindness really drove me toward music and toward the world of sound. Um, and, and I think, I think there were obstacles though, as well, like, you know, as a classical concert pianist, starting out taking piano lessons, I couldn't read the sheet music, you know, um, how am I supposed to do that without being able to see the, the sheet music. But what I, what I figured out was if my professor, put it on a tape for me hand separately. I could listen to the left hand and memorize that and listen to the right hand. And I would Mm -hmm. put them together part by part. And I really just developed my ears 
uh, to be my eye. Yeah. So let's talk a little more about uh, the way the way you approach music. Do you um, first of all tell me about like the most exciting show you ever played or the biggest audience you've ever played to? Any any good stories like that? And I'm also curious: is it is it generally you and the piano, or uh, do you work with a band a lot of the time? And Interesting. So forth? Well, I'll I'll tell you two quick stories. My favorite American Idol story is when I I made it to Hollywood Week. So I had just sung for the four judges. I had the original three, Randy, Paula, and Simon, and then we had Cara Diaguardi that year. Mm -hmm. And uh, to my surprise, they gave me four yeses. And that, you know, they they all said yes. That meant I was heading to Hollywood Week, which is like the regionals of American Idol. And I ran out of the room and you hold up your golden ticket and they're, you know, jumping up and down and excited. And then Ryan Seacrest, the host of American Idol, says, well, congratulations, Scott. We will see you in Hollywood. And when he said that, his hand shot up into the air and uh, for a high five. And it just kind of hung up there in midair. (laughs) <laughs> for a few seconds and then he realized what was happening yeah. he said well scott i'm giving you a high five and then we did the high five and it was all okay <laughs> but it was it was pretty funny because the next day it was in every magazine every talk show was talking about it, it was like the high five heard around the world yeah the silent high five the silent high five and i high-fived him back later in the season uh, which, you know, it was just kind of a, a fun way to start the season, but it yeah. definitely, you know, That's it great. had, it had global repercussions. I'll just, you know, yeah. to, put it, to put it mildly, but it, it was, you know, I'm the last person that would ever be offended by that. And it just, honestly, it just started a lot of discussions about, you know, about that kind of thing. And I get to go around and tell people, you know, you no, know, Ryan is a, is a wonderful guy from what I, what I experienced, but uh, you know the and how about and how about and how about Simon? Well, he's he's like a big scary teddy bear. <laughs> you know, like he, you know, was he tough on you? Did he say anything mean to you? I'm sure he said something mean to me. I mean, I understand that that's part of his shtick. So uh, you know, you have to take it with a sense of humor if he does. But I'm just curious: did he have any of uh, you know, clever I, cutting I wish remarks? I would have known that I could have. I could, you know, that would have saved me a lot of headaches if I would have taken it with a sense of humor. Uh, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) it's easy for me to say, I I don't know. I don't remember him saying anything really bad to me. He was, he was, a a, you know, he was very supportive at, at times and then he's, he's tough at times, but he'll, he'll give you a, you know, I mean, he'll give you a nice hug when he sees you and he's just, I think he just doesn't have a lot of time. Don't have that kind of time. Uh, anyway, but you know, just, just enjoyed meeting all of them, got closer with some of the judges than other judges. But, um, one of my favorite performances that I've, that I've traveled to was actually not really a huge venue at all, but it was a really interesting venue. And I, I uh, got to go to Vietnam with Christina, my wife, uh, a few years back. And it was a guy from Australia that, that brought us over who, um, has an amazing work that he's doing there in Vietnam. He, uh, he has become a father figure to um, over a thousand, I believe, Vietnamese youth. And he helps them, you know, kind of break the poverty cycle in essence. And uh, really cool work that he's doing. It's called Viet UC Family, Viet Uc Family. And uh, I'll tell you, when he, he brought us over there, we just, uh, we didn't want to leave. It was like the closest to heaven I've ever, you know, felt in a, in a, in a place on earth. Um, just because we were learning from them, they were learning from us. There were no, 
you know, there was, there was no, uh, there were no pretenses or anything. It just a really exciting time. And I got to do several concerts there and visit several schools. We visited a, a boarding school for blind girls and got to meet them and play some music for them. They played some music for us and just an incredible time to experience their culture. So that was probably my favorite, favorite, yeah, uh, favorite that's, travel. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, uh, you know, I give a lot of speeches and, uh, I'm always terrified of falling off the stage. Have you ever fallen off the stage? Um, you know what? I have not fallen off the stage, but I've stepped off the stage, which could have, could have led to a fall. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a fine it's line. It's a fine line, but everyone went, <gasps> and then nothing happened. Uh, you know, but no, it did. It did. Yeah. I've never hurt myself. I've never hurt myself badly, but, uh, you know, it's gravity is the gravity and cars, right? Gravity and cars are the blind person's that great enemies. Been fun. I could have ended up in the, <laughs> the lap of the person in the front row, you know, were, were you scared doing, I was it, was it like super nervous compared to just normal? I mean, anytime you get up in front of an audience, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, of nervousness, but I'm wondering if knowing that, you know, whatever, hundreds of millions of people or whatever it is, were watching you, did that, did that change the game for you? Or were you just at peace in your soul? And so it just doesn't, doesn't hate that. I was, you know, well, I was probably at, at peace in my soul to some degree, but I was not, I was not at peace emotionally. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think, I think, um, I was probably, uh, the most nervous I've I've been on American Idol, and I, I was nervous every time. I don't yeah. think it, I don't think it showed necessarily, but uh, it's live television, and your song is about a minute and a half long, so it's not even a full song really. And by the time you right. get comfortable, it's over. So it's just you know, I mean, they're counting down, you know, and and you're live. There's no place to like take a breath and be like, "How's everybody doing tonight?" You know, all right, <laughs> we're, we're gonna sing some songs. We're gonna have yep. a great time. Um, you, you just have to go. And honestly, there were a lot of technical difficulties that, that came up during my, you know, during my, uh, performances. So it was never, there was never a perfect scenario, but, uh, but I, you know, you just try to do your best. And I, I think, um, bottom line, it inspired so many people around the world and it really, they gave me, uh, the gift of being able to do what I do today. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that experience. It's fantastic. Well, let's let's let's. So I know our time is almost up. So, I, but I want to give you a chance. So you say you came out to Arizona, and part of it was you're 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 building something for uh, the greater good, shall we say? So, do you want to talk about that a little? Sure. Yeah. You know what? Uh, we've just we've seen a lot of lives touched over the years um, through through music specifically, like we were talking about before. You know, music breaks down barriers. Music uh, makes people feel comfortable sharing. Um, there's been a lot of people that have left our, our concerts, our events with, you know, with hope to overcome depression, suicide, um, just, you know, addiction, all kinds of stories that we're, we're privileged to hear. And I'm honored that, that, uh, that, that happens, you know? And, uh, so we, we just realized like how many more lives could we touch if, if business wasn't always the bottom line. And so, um, you can go to scottmcintyre.com and, uh, click on ministry and read a little bit more about what we're doing. And, uh, of course we'd be grateful for, for anyone's support if you feel led to, but we're going into more schools to minister to children. We're going into more, uh, blind centers, more hospitals, more churches, just different places that, you know, that, uh, we would not be able to go, um, 
without the nonprofit structure, without the support of others to send us there to share the message of hope and overcoming adversity. So uh, we're excited to be able to touch a lot more lives around the U.S., around the world. Got some exciting things coming up. So scottmcintyre.com, you can, you can learn more. That's exciting. You know, I, I teach uh, entrepreneurship here um, and uh, as well as finance, and, and uh, that includes social entrepreneurship. And some of my students are, are building great, uh, you know, um, vehicles to try to uh, improve the world. And of course, one of the questions is always this, this issue of, of scale and scope. You know, you can, you can do things uh, directly as an individual and, and touch lives. And then, and then the question is, do you, do you build from that? Are you thinking in terms of, you know, bringing other musicians into the fold and trying to build a big organization? Or is this really about you getting out there? And, and touching as many people directly as you can. No, it's both. You know, I think because of because of American Idol and the reach of that, this this is a crazy statistic, but I think four out of five people, if we if we round it roughly, four out of five people were watching American Idol in the U.S. Uh, back the year I was on. It's been ten years this year. It was two thousand nine. I can't believe Amazing. that. But uh, then yeah. it would air all over the world at the time. It was this this you know American phenomenon, but the world was really watching and there were a lot of countries that were you know they're fascinated with american culture for whatever reason and then they're fascinated with american idols so so we we are leveraging that to be able to go and reach kids you know in in other places but absolutely we're Mm -hmm. you know another another part of it is raising up the next generation so there's there's uh absolutely it's bigger than just us and uh we are we are all about that that's great. So, look, people, listeners, you know, if you if you have support to offer to to Scott, please please reach out to him through his website. Or if you're a musician and you think you've got the the what it takes to to have the kind of effect on people that Scott's had, you know, reach out to him and see if you can get involved because uh, you know it's a big world out there. A lot of people who need that kind of inspiration. So, well, listen, Scott, it's been such a pleasure uh, talking to you. I really really appreciate you uh, joining us here on Dangerous Visions. Got a hundred more questions, so maybe we'll get you back sometime. And uh, absolutely, and I can ask we'll you more. do part two. I appreciate. Appreciate it, Randy, so much. God bless you. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're listening to the Dangerous Vision Podcast, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired.